So, Matt, do you have another story for us this week? I do. Um, this week I have a, a kind of well-known story um, that's going up on time for the first time in a couple of weeks. Yay. Woo. Everybody clap for us. No clapping. That's okay. That's okay. I'll just imagine it. That's a bad podcast edit- etiquette to clap. Um, so, yeah. No, I've just got a, I've got a relatively short story. It's one that a lot of people probably know. Um, like it comes up a lot on unsolved mystery threads, but it's like one of my favorite stories. Um, so I figured it would be a good one to tell. Make an exception for an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oldie, but a goodie for sure. Um, so let's, uh, let's go ahead and dive in. Wait, no, that's cantina music. Um, <laughs> cantina music stops is my new favorite meme. <laughs> I don't, I don't know this meme. So it's it's like a reaction meme. So it's all of like the cantina music players, and they're just holding their instruments, and it says in brackets, "Cantina music stops." Is that from the Lego Star Wars game? No, no, no. It's the. I mean, maybe they reference it in the Lego Star Wars game, but I mean, it's a picture of like. The first movie, Cantina Guys. Oh. My favorite thing is in the Lego Star Wars movies, if you set the... If you turn off the music or set the game music, like, in the settings down to zero, in all of mm-hmm. the Cantina areas of the game, the band just stands there awkwardly. Oh my god! That's hilarious! Yeah. So, yeah, let's let's dive on in. So this, this is a really popular story, like I said. I know I've seen it a few times on, like, Investigation Discovery and the History Channel and some unsolved mystery shows and stuff. Um, and it always shows up on, like, top unsolved mystery lists. But it's, like, it's such a strange one that I, I just want to talk about it and discuss it. Um, you may have heard okay. of it. Um, it's a really interesting toxic- toxicological case and a, a super weird case of crisis management and might even be a case of modern mass hysteria. Ooh. Oh, I know exactly what case this is based on that alone. I, this is an interesting case, and this actually led me to do some post-research into hearing about it and being like, you know, it seems like this had a bad effect, but... Maybe I want to use that myself. Who knows? Oh, this might not be the same one then. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Listeners. Yeah, so this might not be the... We might be talking about two different things. So yours might come up because I don't think you want to use this on yourself. We'll see. Um, oh, wait, no. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. This is probably the same. Uh, anyway. Same wavelength. Okay, let's yeah, go. Yeah, yeah, Okay, so it's about Gloria Ramirez. Uh, who it is, is yes. yes. Okay, who is an American <laughs> woman who lived in Riverside, California. Uh, she was born in 1963 and lived in California for her entire life. Um, and that's really all we need to know about Gloria. I don't really want to trivialize her here, um, but I'm going to skip over a lot of the entirety of her life story because it's just not important to the mystery, which is what the show is about. Right, well, but, and I mean, her... Um, I, I mean, she led, as far as we know, a completely normal life. So the yeah. life that she led up until this circumstance and it happening didn't have bearing on this, meaning right. it wasn't like she had some traumatic event in her childhood and right. that led to this. Right. So, There's I mean, it's, no... it's sad. You can probably see where this is going. It's not yes. Yes. Um, going to end well for Gloria. We're sad about that, but... I've titled this episode The Mysterious Death of Gloria Ramirez. So, spoilers, she's going to die. Um, 
rest in peace. Yes, rest in peace. Um, so this was um, this happened in the the actual story happened in the early nineties. So um, mm-hmm. like I said, I don't want to trivialize her life, but really the the only thing important to the mystery that we're talking about is the fact that she was diagnosed with cervical cancer in her late twenties, early thirties. Um, and like I said, this was the early nineties. You know, this was almost thirty years ago now, so the prognosis was grim. Um, yeah. You know, these days, early detection is important. Go get checked, y'all. Um, but back then, even with early detection, we didn't have the technology that we have today. Even in the last five mm-hmm. years, technology has progressed. So um, that's really all the background we need to know. She's a early 30s woman with cervical cancer. And on the evening of February 19th, 1994, Gloria was experiencing an accelerated heartbeat and shortness of breath. So what she did is called 911, like you should do. Uh, yes. No. <laughs> and she was taken to the Riverside General ER by paramedics. Um, she was admitted at about 8.10 to 8.15 p.m. Uh, we don't have an exact time. Uh, the ER staff immediately diagnosed her symptoms as tachycardia and Chayen, Ch- Chaney Stokes respiration. Anyway, tachycardia... You didn't look this up beforehand? I did. I just don't know how to say it. Um, so so <laughs> tachycardia is an accelerated heart resting heart rate. Um for adults, that's usually greater than 100 beats per minute. Um, Cheney Stokes respiration, as I think how it's pronounced, is basically, uh, it sounds like a really terrifying thing. It's waking apnea, effectively. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you start breathing deeply and normally, and then you're breathing without without you being able to control. It slowly becomes more and more shallow and shallow and shallow and quickened until you stop breathing entirely and then at some point the process just kind of repeats itself you know you you can't breathe for for a few seconds and then you just start breathing deeply again and it just kind of accelerates and it's no good that sounds really really scary um so if you ever have shortness of breath call 911 (laughs) Um, and an accelerated heart rate yes like a hundred percent please go see someone yes i know a lot of women die from like undiagnosed or late diagnosed heart disease because it's really often seen as like a male-centric medical issue so i see like billboards that are like women never get checked for heart disease go get checked y'all go to your doctors use your health insurance anyway um if you don't have health insurance that's another topic for another day but i feel you yes the mysterious case of american health insurance um so the ER staff, so she's she's got an accelerated resting heart rate. She's got breathing problems. The ER staff immediately try to calm her heart rate. That's step number one. Right. So they administer diazepam, midazolam, I think is how it's called, and lorazepam, um, which are Valium, Versed, and Ativan, respectively. They administer her little cocktail of, of basically nervous system suppressants um, to try to sedate her because she's also uh very panicked uh like like you would be uh and bring her heart rate down just a little bit after Mm -hmm. several minutes it becomes clear that her heart rate isn't slowing she's starting to get dysrhythmia which is um like it's diagnosed with an ekg you effectively have a non-regular accelerated heartbeat which is even more dangerous um so they begin defibrillation um which is to by the way, treat arrhythmia and dysrhythmia, which are not cardiac arrest, as shown in movies typically. Um, they use defibrillators on people who have heartbeats, not on people who don't. So you know. Anyway. Um, the more you know. Yes. Uh, so they also began trying to, to physically regulate her breathing with an amba bag. Um, and like, it's one of those like squeezy bags. 
I'm miming right now. Right. Uh, um, where they like pump, they like put the mask over your face and they squeeze air into your eyes. It's on every medical TV show, no matter what. Like, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what the like, the person has a broken leg and for some reason there's like a nurse pulling the squeezy bag while two doctors are talking over them. I don't know why. <laughs> um, so they start doing that. Now, this is when it starts to get weird. Uh, it gets hanky up in here, y'all. It does. So um, For everybody involved. Literally everybody. So um, <laughs> Nurse Susan Kane, um, who was, who was, you know, on hand helping her out in the ER, began to draw a blood sample. At about this time, others in the room began to note that because of the ambu bag, they're noticing that she's exhaling this really, like, overly fruity, garlicky odor. Um, which, whatever, not too strange, in, like, without context, like, whatever, she ate, she liked fruit and garlic, I like fruit and garlic, whatever. Um, right. But they actually start, like, talking about it in the room. Somebody made a remark, and they're like, ooh, that's bad breath. Well, and didn't she also, and I'm sorry, I'm stepping on your toes here, no, but no, didn't no, she ahead. have, like, a weird sheen on her skin, too? Yes, that's the next sentence I have written down. Her skin... Oh, yes, I win. ...had this oily, glossy sheen, like it was, like, greasy, and... Which is not normal. It's if that not happens normal. to you also, please seek medical attention. Yes. Um, they're not sure whether or not she came in with this oily, glossy sheen on her skin, like... Like, it was it was described as a noticeable oiliness, not like she didn't shower for several days or anything like that, or, like, normal But, humanness. like, somebody dipped her in oil and pulled her out. Yes, exactly. Um, and they can't, like, ask her. It's important to note that they can't really ask her right now. Like, right. hey, BT Dubs, did you come in like this or not? Because she's, you know, like, in panic mode and in not good shape. Well, at this point, she's mostly unconscious. She's, she's Exactly, she's right. She's fading in and out of consciousness. So, um... Part of that is probably because of all the sedatives they gave her. Um, exactly. So they're not really sure if like her skin, her skin is excreting this stuff because of a medical condition or right. if she came in just a little bit greasy. No one knows. Um, but as Susan came, the nurse drew blood from her. The room began to fill with this awful ammonia smell, like a rotting ammonia smell, strong enough to make some people in the room feel a little bit dizzy just from the smell alone. Which is, like, pretty intense, y'all. Yes, and Maureen Welch, a respiratory therapist who was on hand, also in the room, noted that it smelled like her blood as, you know, they were drawing this. She noted specifically that it didn't smell any like any of the chemotherapy drugs she was on. Uh, chemotherapy can often give blood a very distinctive smell to phlebotomists. Um, they yes. know when a patient is on chemo because, because of how it smells. Maureen Welch, who is apparently very familiar with this noted it was like overwhelmingly ammonia smell not chemo yeah. drug drugs or even like blood smell it was just ammonia so she has no idea what could be causing this whereas in other situations with patients on chemo she could identify the source right and you know, it would be totally normal for especially a late stage cancer patient cancer patient <laughs> like gloria to for her blood to smell like chemotherapy drugs. She was on chemo at the time. Right. She's, she's late-stage cervical cancer, so that would be a totally normal thing. But her blood doesn't smell like that. It doesn't even smell like blood. It smells like a cleaning product. Yeah. Um, so they pass the... Welch then passes the syringe to Julia Gorchinsky, a medical resident. Now, this is a name we're going to re- want to remember because it comes up a lot. 
Um, Julia, again, a medical resident, examined the, the syringe with blood in it and noted that there were small yellow floating solids in her blood. Yikes. In the sample of blood, which is, is not a good thing. You don't want that. Um, also, if you see that, which I don't know why you're taking a syringe of your own blood, but if you do, please do not think it is normal. It's time to call 911. It's time to go to the doctor because um, that's just, that's not normal, y'all. That's you, bad news bears. You gotta see someone. Um, so, right about that Our time. Our friend Julia, yeah. Yes, right about that time. Um, that Gorchinsky Julia had announced that there were particles in this blood and was like kind of panicking to the people around her. Susan Kane, the first nurse who, you know, we, we talked about, started leaning over Gloria to look for the source of the smell. And as she was leaning over Gloria, she just full on fainted, just full on passed out right on top of Gloria, hit the floor. And that was it. She was out. So Susan um, would later say that when she woke up or when she woke up shortly after, she felt as if her face was burning, like on fire. Um, staff in the room put her on a gurney, got her to the trauma center outside of Gloria's room and, and got her away from the incident. We'll talk about her in a little bit some more. Julia Gorchinsky was the next to begin feeling the effects of what we'll find was Gloria's presence. Um she felt lightheaded and left the room. I, I assume she passed the syringe to a lab tech or something who would take it away. She left the room and go sit down at a nearby nursing station. Almost immediately after sitting, sitting down, she too fainted, fell right out of the chair. Um, she began to suffer some serious effects while unconscious. She stopped breathing several times and shook uncontrollably for the next several minutes on and off for several hours after being exposed to Gloria. Like a seizure or like just shaking? Just like shaking. Um, okay. None of the articles that I read and none of the medical history that I read said anything to do with any sort of like seizures. She just like had muscle spasms, I guess, if that's what they were. Okay. Gotcha. There's some theories about that coming up though. Um, okay. Okay. We'll get there. Yes. 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 Um, so that's a pretty serious deal because she, if she did stop breathing, like in, you know, her breathing needed to be restarted by an ambi bag or by, by staff, by medicine, whatever. That's, that's a big deal. That's a thing you want to watch out for. Not breathing. Bad. Um, <laughs> so Maureen Welch, the respiratory therapist, uh, went next. She fainted right in the middle of the floor in the middle of Gloria's room. Um, she did anybody get- not faint? Several people didn't faint, but also many people did faint. So she regained conscious consciousness quickly, but as soon as she did, like within within seconds, she couldn't move any of her limbs. Um, also bad. Also, also sign one of, of my nightmares. Yes. Also, like straight up uh, night terrors. Um, sleep paralysis, but this isn't sleep paralysis. This is toxic this lady is waking paralysis. paralysis. Yes. Um, so several other staff in the hospital, uh, who hadn't even entered Gloria's room, people who just like walked by and some people even outside the nursing station, like dozens of feet away, began to feel similar symptoms, lightheadedness. Um, nobody really noted an odor otherwise, but, but in general, people weren't feeling very good. Um, so administrators in the ER evacuated everybody to the parking lot. They evacuated patients, the entire crew of the ER. They shut down all incoming patients to the ER for several hours. The only thing that they left in the ER in terms of personnel was a very small skeleton crew and Gloria Ramirez. Um, 
sadly, Gloria Ramirez was pronounced dead at 8.50 p.m. that night. Um, her official pretty quick. Very quick. Her official cause of death was cardiac dysrhythmia caused by kidney failure from her late-stage cervical cancer. We think, but there's some more info on, on cause of death later on. That's what the official cause of death was on her death certificate and what, you know, is listed on Wikipedia under her person profile. Right. Um, and also it was maybe the best that they knew in that moment. Yeah. Well, amazingly, even through all the mysterious fainting and everything, that skeleton crew that stayed behind performed CPR and, and defibrillated her at, at various stages to try to um, take care of her, her dysrhythmia for nearly 45 minutes before pronouncing her dead. So it's not like they... Yeah, so they, they tried, y'all. Right, right. I want to I wanna emphasize here, they didn't just, like, up and, and evacuate the ER and, and leave her And they her came back and she was dead. Right, right. Yeah. No, no they, they left behind a crew and they treated her to the best of their ability for, for nearly an hour as she was dying before they actually pronounced her dead. They didn't just give up right. and, and run out the door. So that's just an important thing, um, you know, the hospital staff didn't didn't leave her behind. Um, so there's there's a lot of weirdness in that story, just in that in that short series. That happened of in like an hour period. Yeah, I mean, even in just like a five minute period, like like Gloria comes in, they give her some drugs, they give her some oxygen, they try to restart, uh, you know, her heart and and cure her arrhythmia or dysrhythmia with with a defibrillator, and several people end up fainting and suffering some serious health issues as a result. So there's three kind of wholly separate theories. Two of them are a little bit related, but I want to kind of just dive into them in depth and how they were discovered. So after this happened, the the first and kind of most official thing that happened was the California Department of Human Health and Services assigned two investigators to the case, Agent Mully and Agent Skulder. I'm lying. Uh, it was. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was. It was Dr. Anna Osario and Dr. Kirsten Waller. Um, they interviewed 34 of the hospital staff who were present in the ER when Gloria died, and um, they used when they interviewed these people. They used a standard questioning method for all of the people they questioned. It was a questionnaire followed by a short interview with exactly the same questions with follow-up questions as needed. So it's not like they interviewed specific people a little bit more heavily or interrogated anyone. It was just a questionnaire, and they basically took as much data as they could from those 34 people and tried to find correlation in what happened um, based on a timeline of events for people like walking by the room, walking in the room, out of the room. They were very, very detailed in their study. Right. Because with each little, like with each person, even if they weren't in the room, even if they were just ancillary to, you know, what happened, they can form a complete picture. Right. Right. Because it's not like they had like a camera in the room with somebody making commentary while it happened. Right, exactly. So they're really trying to get kind of a series of, a sequence of events for each person involved. Um, You know, it it could even be something like that. And these are what investigators of of, of this caliber do. Um, Even even today where you'll have, you know, a, a chemical leak and nobody will know that it's a specific chemical leak. They'll study the human health effects of said chemical leak and be able to draw uh, causation and correlation from interviewing people and looking at the raw data. So that's what they're trying to do. They're just collecting data to try to figure out, did this come from Gloria? Did this come from uh, a chemical leak somewhere else in the building? Was was it another patient? Was this on purpose? Was, was this on this purpose? Yes. by happenstance? Like, these are important things to know as far as, like, 
you, you know, at this point, you don't know if there's a danger to other people. Exactly. Exactly. So this is this is kind of a, a very routine, very detail oriented thing, um, and I'm I'm gonna save you all the all the boring details. Um, there's there's links in in the podcast notes if you want to see them, um, but the they basically come up with several correlations and non correlations. The biggest correlations they they come up with um, are. The most severe symptoms uh, had some some things in common. Most importantly, those severe the the severity of the symptoms were not necessarily correlated to the exposure scenario of the victims. By that I mean right. the people with the most severe symptoms were not necessarily the people absolutely closest or handling Gloria directly. Um, right. More than that, though, I've discussed. I've, I've given the names of some some women who are in the room. I think it's been all women so far. There were a lot of men in the room as well. Um, there was there was a couple of men residents. There was a couple of male nurses, and there was at least one male ER doctor in the room. Literally, none of them suffered any ill effects aside from smelling a faint ammonia smell in their interviews. Um, none of them passed out. None of them had any issues. Only female staff actually had severe issues the rest of the people who who they interviewed basically only smelled something funny some people experienced lightheadedness right so it's it's a little bit strange that it would be along gender lines like that um you wouldn't really expect that for fumes or toxic gas release it could certainly be like a you know like a, a body weight thing if it's all like small women and large men like that's totally right. a, a real thing and i don't have data on that but the conclusion and the officially published report that these two doctors came to was a case of mass hysteria which i just want to take a moment here to say that this does not mean that the things that these people experienced were not real, meaning they did not like make it up. This was hundred and ten percent real to them. Right. They had no control over what was happening. They didn't go, Oh my God, I'm no. gonna pass out now, and then they passed out. So this is not saying that they chose this or that they're lying about it, but it I mean it to them it was very, very real. Yeah, and it might have been real anyways. I'm just telling you what the California Department of Health and Human Services investigators came to, right? This could have right, which you know. Yeah, this yeah. is this is this is option A. This is list one. This I've got a list here, and this is option one: is mass hysteria. Okay, it wasn't real. Don't Some, check it if you don't like it. Right, right, right. Something smelled a little funky. Said these doctors, and everybody decided to lose their minds. And and that's that's what they're saying. That may not be what happened. Um. So that's that's option number one. That's conclusion number one, right? Um. There was a lot of data that went into this and a lot of data that um, it was impartial data. But just because they came to the conclusion of mass hysteria, again, doesn't mean necessarily that's what happened. There was also a lot of data around the fact that the people that were most severely affected were largely the people that were in the room with Gloria. Like the Right. It wasn't like some guy three floors away on the outside of the building who just like... Right. Passed out randomly. <laughs> right. And in a mass hysteria incident, you might get something like that. Um, it wasn't necessarily fully consistent with a gas leak or a, the presence of toxic fumes, but it was, you know, sort of leaning in that way just because the people that were closest to Gloria were the ones who experienced the most severe symptoms on average. Um, 
But one thing I do want to throw out here, and I'm going to come back to this later, nobody, they tested 23 people that day who smelled fumes. Um, the, the several people who passed out, the six people who had very, very abnormal symptoms, there were six people who, who, who reported severe lightheadedness and, and um, at least three people who had full-on passed out, obviously, like we went through. Um, so they did blood tests on all ER staff who mm-hmm. even said they smelled anything, 23 people. None of them came back abnormal. None of them came back with the presence of any unknown chemicals or compounds. None of them came back with any sort of poisons or, or known toxins in, in their blood samples. Well, and I want to point out, too, that for some of these people, it wasn't like they got better in an hour. Yes. I mean, I know that oh, some yeah, of Oh, yeah, we're going to go into that. Don't worry. Don't worry. Okay, good. Yeah, okay. Yeah. We'll get there. Um, yeah, yeah, we'll get there. So um, I, I want to I just real quickly before we get there... Um, I'm sorry. I'm just, no, oh, I'm just no. really excited. No, no, you're good. You're good. Um, so the Riverside Riverside's coroner's office also contacted um, after after this whole mass hysteria thing was released. Well, around the time I think where this was being investigated, if we look at the timeline, I think it was pretty close. The Riverside coroner's office is the one that had uh, custody of Gloria's body. So they contacted the Lawrence Livermore National Lab to conduct an independent investigation. After an extended autopsy, the Livermore Lab produced a second hypothesis. Remember Gloria's oily, greasy skin? Right. Her blood and skin tested positive for dimethyl sulfoxide, um, also known as DMSO. DMSO yes. um, tangent ahead. I'm just going to give you a quick tangent warning right here. So I'm 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 a chemist by trade. Um, DMSO. Nerd out here. Yeah, yeah. DMSO is a powerful degreasing agent. It's um, used a lot of times in like adhesive removal projects. I think it it, it used to be used in Gugon before they reformulated to be more green. Um, it's it's still often used as an industrial solvent for grease, um, especially in like engines and stuff. Um, it also has use in like an old wives' tale style as a home remedy for pain and pain numbing. Well, and also, and you're probably going to get into this, but it has some interesting qualities. One applied to the skin, one applied to human skin. It's very penetrative. Yes, it, it does penetrate well, not that well, but well, um, because it is a a it it is an organic compound it's a yeah it's it, just not selective meaning yes. that if there's anything mixed in that you then rub on your skin that also get carries into your skin yes so yes and i don't get <laughs> i don't know i don't get that detailed with it later we can we can talk about it because i know i know the details um but i didn't write them down so we can totally get into that in just a minute um so also importantly dimethyl dimethyl sulfoxide is often sold um, it's sold either in um, a like can of grease, like dimethyl sulfoxide grease, mm-hmm. or often diluted in methanol or ethanol um, for, for industrial variants. Um, but in a hardware store, I don't know if you still can today, but back in the 90s, you could just go into the hardware store and say, I want some grease remover, and they'd give you a little can of gel dimethyl sulfoxide, which you could just like rub on your skin, and it would look greasy and oily. So, huh. Huh. Hmm. Um, some users also report, and this was on a forum I found, that it has a garlicky taste. Oh, so people have eaten it. Apparently. 
Oh, um, please don't do that, listeners. I we care not. about you and your health, and also your taste buds. I really wouldn't touch that. Um, now, unfortunately, Gloria's family was unable to comment on this because they didn't want to. Uh, and it's really hard to blame them. They've refused a lot of yeah. the interviews after her death as a result of this because I'm going to skip ahead. This is still part of the tangent. We're going to go forward in time for a little bit after all these investigations have been done. Two months after Gloria died, her body was returned to the family for independent autopsy and burial. However, an independent autopsy was impossible because her heart was missing, her organs were cross-contaminated with fecal matter, and her body was so badly decomposed that the family's pathologist couldn't determine or even confirm the stated cause of death. Which, like, by the way, guys, that is absolutely 100% not what should happen, and is really horrible, and it's really, really shitty for yeah. both Gloria, you know, even though she's passed, for her and her family. Yeah. It's just terrible. It's awful. Like, they're, the mishandling of both the coroner's office and the lab they contacted to do this study was just awful. Um, the, the mishandling of her body is, like, is, is the worst thing about this entire story, I think, in my opinion. It's, right, well, and also to treat her like some oddity instead of as a living, breathing human who had family and friends who loved her and who she loved and who died. Yeah, no, there's there's just everything wrong with this from, from just a lack of empathy, a lack of sympathy, a lack of humanity, and also just respect. a lack. Yeah, a lack of respect and least of all, a lack of scientific rigor. <laughs> like if you're gonna contaminate and the standards thing, oh yeah. yeah yeah like if you're gonna contaminate her body so that nobody else can can confirm the hypothesis you're stating then your results are effectively worthless if there's if there's one nobody case, can reproduce it yeah nobody can reproduce this this isn't science this is just hogwash anyway so the horrible way her body was handled aside let's get back to the livermore labs actual theory and this one kind of tickles the chemistry dork in me and i've really kind of summed it down here um so feel free to jump in with extra details if you want because i know you know extras and so do i but um okay so the horrible way her body was handled aside let's get back to the livermore labs theory um and again this one really like it tickles me in that chemistry kind of way because it is it is a not a fun theory because a lot of people were hurt and somebody died, but it's a fun theory in terms of, like, there's a lot of, like... The logistics of it. The logistics of this and, and the, the like, the the chemistry Rube Goldbergness that had to happen for these series of events to occur is just kind of quirky. Um, so the first part of their theory is that they surmise that the, the use of DMSO caused a buildup within her urinary tract. Now, she had cervical cancer, right? Um, so if you're going to use a topical pain relief, even if it's an old wives' tale one, you're going to you're going to put it where the pain is typically. So what they surmised um, is that the DMSO caused a urinary blockage, which eventually led to the symptoms that caused her kidney failure, which caused her heart failure. Um, so they were related to her cervical cancer, but it it really was a result of DMSO. Um, the second thing that they postulated was that Gorchinsky's uh, symptoms were in fact the result of dimethyl sulfate poisoning not dimethyl sulfoxide which is dmso it's dimethyl sulfate poisoning um dmso is typically non-reactive um it's it's a pretty stable compound it's used as an industrial degreaser it sometimes has a faint odor of ammonia because it is a it is a i think it's an ester technically um but when combined with either highly concentrated oxygen um 
or in a uh, heat-driven environment, it, it can produce dimethyl sulfate. It can oxidize and pick up a couple of extra oxygen atoms and become dimethyl sulfate. Um, which is no good. Which is, it's super toxic. Um, one of the things that they said could have caused this, which is a little <laughs> meh to me, <laughs> is that, um, is that the, the DMSO, um, could have reacted because of arcing or high heat caused by the defibrillator in the room, coupled with the oxygen she was being administered, um, could have caused the DMSO to oxidize. Um, dimethyl sulfite is, is a super oxic, is a super toxic diester. Um, it acts as a really strong alkylating agent, which basically causes instant cell, cell death when, when you breathe it in. It basically destroys your lungs and causes horrible, horrible symptoms and, and can cause death very, very quickly if it's in high enough concentrations. Um, and why is that? Why does it kill your, your it cells, for those of us who don't know things? Um, it, it destroys the, um, the, the cell walls. So it acts as yeah. There you go. Yeah, it acts as a, as an alkylating agent, and it actually destroys the cell walls. And um, there's a, there's a lot of uh, poisonous gases that do this, where they just cause cell death. But in your lungs specifically, that's horrible because what ends up happening is you have a lot of cellular fluid that basically just starts leaking into your lungs, um, and and you kind of just drown painfully in your own lungs. in your juice. own self. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's bad news bears. Um, now, this, like I said, the skeptic in me, rather, like I said, this theory is kind of because the skeptic in me is like, if your defibrillator is arcing or causing enough heat, you have a bad defib. Like, even in the that's 90s. Like not, that's not good for your patient, I assume. That's not good for your patient. That's not good for you. That's not good for electronics. Like, defibrillators don't do that. They're usually, like, even in the 90s, they were heavily shielded, heavily regulated, like, pieces of medical equipment that don't, they just don't do that um so maybe that didn't happen but like you had mentioned and i didn't include this in my write-up so i i don't have all the details at hand but dimethyl sulfoxide the dmso gel a lot of times could contain impurities yes unfortunately yeah like dimethyl sulfone and and lesser sulfonated forms of 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 dimethyl sulfurous compounds which may oxidize easier at room temperature or may oxidize more effectively in the presence of, you know, catalysts in that maybe exist in the human bloodstream or maybe are part of, um, may, maybe, maybe, like I have nothing to support this, but maybe are part of like chemo drugs, that kind of stuff. We're just spitballing here, y'all. Totally spitballing. There's literally nothing to support this and I'm probably way off base, but I'm just saying there are, there are lesser versions of dmso and, and basically contaminants in dmso and like you had mentioned it penetrates the skin very very easily mm-hmm. meaning if they're giving her pure oxygen even if she's breathing in pure oxygen there's a chance that there could have been reactions here and that her breath and the ammonia smell and all of this could be related the, the garlicky smell uh, of the dimethyl sulfoxide coupled with the ammonia that may have been produced by her buds bloodstream coupled with you know her them drawing blood from her and noticing that there were particulates in her blood speaking of which dimethyl sulfate can crystallize in solution at room temperature and a lot of times can form yellow crystals in solution um seems a likely suspect it could be a likely suspect um 
so yeah there's a lot going on with this one they like it could yeah <laughs> yeah no it could be just a result of her home remedy being a cheap version of said of said home remedy with impurities in it could have reacted with the oxygen in the air and the the treatment methods they were administering to produce a very toxic deadly gas just out of her body right and also you have to realize too right like people you can go on amazon and you can find the dmso that is being marketed and sold as a topical body treatment really like i didn't even look up that look that up yeah so i mean you you can you can see that at least when i looked i saw it this was a while ago when i first heard about this case but it's very likely that back in the 90s i mean you know i didn't have amazon and have all this kind of stuff that we do now where everything is at the touch of our fingertips so it's very likely that if she was using this it was obviously not being made for human use meaning it's not being marketed and made to rub on your skin i still would not buy that if you see it online guys i'm not suggesting you do but there's probably more of a likelihood for those sorts of impurities because you're using it for something other than the intended use. Yeah, you're buying the industrial version. It's not going to hurt an engine. Right. Yeah. Right, you're buying the industrial version versus the medical version, right? Like, quote-unquote medical. Me- yeah, medical with air quotes. <laughs> um, terms. Yes. Um, so the, the lab's conclusion, so this, this was the conjecture that the lab put forward. They were so compelling um, that they were eventually published in the Forensic Science in the forensic science international journal um i actually yeah i did um so um through my work i actually have access to this journal um so i went and i i looked through the the did you read it i i read most of it Uh, not cover to cover it's actually pretty long um but i did read their their uh you know their their synopsis and everything and i read through the introduction and and it's actually it's pretty well written um as part of it they actually even included two different potential chemical mechanisms for dimethyl sulfate to form from the the compound she was using as a as a topical pain relief aid um but here's the question though do they know that she was using it meaning did they go to her home and find it no this is just from her autopsy this is this is their okay. hypothesis just from access to her body. Remember, her family didn't want to participate in any of this after the fact. Which I don't blame them. I'm just no. saying that they didn't really have proof. Right. Um, okay. But really, I want to I bring this back around. Remember Julia Gorchinsky, who periodically stopped breathing after she fainted? Yeah, scary. Super yeah. scary. Yeah. Dimethyl sulfate can absolutely cause those symptoms. Um Julia Gorchinsky was uh, actually in intensive care for two full weeks with breathing problems after the incident. And all the articles I saw mentioned that she also developed hepatitis and a vascular necrosis, which is bone death, in her knees. Now, what? Now, dimethyl sulfoxide exposure would definitely explain her respiratory symptoms. I couldn't find anything about the hep or about her knee damage. Like, I don't... That just happened, and I don't know how or why, but everybody mentioned it, so I'm like, I, I, have, I don't know what to make of that or what to do with it. So if you have a theory, listeners, hit us up. Please, because I, I googled a lot, and I couldn't find anything. Anyway, so she... Uh, Julia, I want to point out, said these things and kind of said this to, to different like reporters and, and said this to um, specifically the 
the the lab the livermore lab who did this like her her case is written up in this in this paper as well mm-hmm. and a lot of her testimony seems to come as a backlash to the fact that the original finding from the california department of health and safety was uh mass hysteria so i feel like they were kind of like well it was mass hysteria and julie was like no it wasn't look at what happened to me <laughs> right yeah. um so the the whole knee thing maybe was a, the result of the fact she was in bed for too long or something or was exposed to something else in the hospital i don't know um in any case moving on uh and not saying uh, that she purposely lied not saying right. that she just like made shit up for right. the sake of it and saying that we don't have all the details to know right now i do want to point something out though i want to point out something very important and very i'm gonna throw wrenches because it's what i do dimethyl sulfate would show up in blood tests and it would show up mm. in a panel test and remember how long after though does it stay I mean, the symptoms of it would stick around forever. Like, it, it can even cause, like, onset COPD in the same way that, like, uh, diacetyl does. Oh, okay. Nobody had any of those symptoms. Like, even the people that had shortness of breath never had, like, lasting symptoms of shortness of breath. Right. Never had, like, COPD-like symptoms. Um, I don't really know how in-depth they went with this. They never did, like, you know, full MRIs or, or um, CT scans of, like, the lungs of any of the people who were affected. I know the Livermore lab didn't. I don't know if those people had them done independently. But from what I could find, nobody had any lasting effects effects that would be the result of dimethyl sulfite poisoning that would cause effects as acutely strong, like to the point of stopping someone from breathing or causing people to pass out in a room. So maybe there's just some missing data. Maybe maybe it's a, you know... Um, like a, like a HIPAA thing where people's medical records just aren't part of the public zeitgeist and it's just not out there and maybe it still happened. I don't know. But I could find nothing that actually corroborated the lasting effects of what would have been dimethyl sulfite poisoning. So now I get to be Mulder and you get to be Scully. Yes. Whereas last week it was the opposite. Yes. Um <laughs> So the final theory, and this one's my favorite just because of, like, drama. This is, like, the soap opera theory. Get your tea. Get your tea, everybody. Oh, get it. Get it ready. It was published by the uh, New Times LA in 1997. Um, they had two separate articles. This was a magazine. This is, like, a reputable... Okay, I was going to say, you have to give me some context yes. here. Is this, like, you I, know, I, tabloid I, or what? They're not a tabloid. Um, I have no idea how per reputable se. they are. They're, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're definitely like a real magazine and a real publication. It's not like it's the Inquirer or something. But they published two separate stories on this. And you can go find them. They're out there if you want. Should um, we link them in the show notes, Matt? They're not freely available. Oh, never mind. Yeah. We won't do that to you then. I had to find them through some other sources. Um, <laughs> but in short meth 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 methamphetamine really? they yes. came to that conclusion how um so in the early 1990s riverside county was in fact the meth production capital of america um 
For those of you who watch Breaking Bad, one of the precursor chemicals to trucker meth, as they call it in the show, is methylamine. Uh, methylamine is often found in, in pressurized canisters, but also uh, can be found in um, diluted in ethanol or methanol or various other organic solvents. But it's used industrially as a building block chemical, basically. It's one of the simplest primary amines, so it can be used in a lot of um, organic reactions to produce more complex compounds. What's an amine, Matt? I'm not going to go into that. You can Google okay. that if you want. It's spelled A-M-I-N-E. Just go to go learn your organic chemistry. Um, importantly, though, ammonia is a methane. It, it, ammonia is an amine. Um Methylamine is basically ammonia with just an extra methyl group. Gotcha. This compound, and you find this a lot in organic chemistry, compounds smell the same a lot. Compounds that are funky and fish smelling add an extra methyl group. They get maybe a little funkier or a little bit less funky, depending on if it makes them more stable or not. Or, you know, it, a lot of organic... How spicy they are. Right, how spicy they are. A lot of organic compounds in, in OCHEM have, like... A lot of, of very, very similar structures that produce very, very similar smells. Um, like, I, I, I know some toxicologists who can tell me how something smells just by looking at, like, the compound. It's like, hey, it's related to this. It probably smells like dead fish or something. Um, but, like I said, it is often stored. It often smells a lot like ammonia, maybe a little bit more like a rotting fish ammonia, but ammonia nonetheless. And it's often stored in solution with either ethanol or methanol. So the LA Times, or the, rather the Times LA, I gotta say that right, the New Times LA. Right, come on, don't drag other publications into this right. unnecessarily. <laughs> they hypothesize that the hospital staff or somebody else in the hospital, not necessarily the staff, but, but the hospital itself was being used, uh, and the IV bags specifically were being used to smuggle and sell methylamine and produce methamphetamine in Riverside County. Now, what, hap what would happen if, say, one of those IV bags that has methylamine and ethanol or methanol uh, was given to Gloria accidentally while they were giving her fluids and, and giving her all of her, you know, sedative cocktails? Perhaps some of the hospital staff were acting to cover up their mistake. It would have been an easy thing to cover up considering that, that methylamine... Methylamine has a very ammonia-like smell with just a hint of rotting fish. It's been described. Um, organic chemicals like this can often be nasty. Um, so I'm just going to like, I don't want to throw shade so on Are them. they saying that these three women are drug dealers? They're not. Um, they were very careful to dance around that kind of. Oh, of course. Of course. But they're hmm. kind of saying I that. I see you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm going to throw out just like, I'm not trying to throw shade on anyone, and I'm not trying to throw anything out there. I'm just going to use Julia, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to give you a what if, and I'm not trying to like, say that this did happen, or that I even believe that it happened. I'm just throwing out some pure hogwash conjecture, right? What if... Julia Gorchinsky was in on the meth production, and after realizing the mistake of the IV bag, took a moment caused by the scene and tried to make out like Gloria was this toxic woman. Maybe Julia caused, you know, somebody somebody was, say, sniffing around, 
fainted. Julia went out and decided to faint, too, with air quotes. And maybe multiple people fainting actually did cause a mass hysteria incident. Because there were multiple people all suffering the same effects and other people, you know, kind of jumped on that bad mm-hmm, because that mm-hmm. is a that is a legitimate thing. Like, we're not going to go into that because because it would be a I silly thing say, to talk I, about. Uh, I'm going to be the opposite of you here. I'm going to call bullshit. Okay, okay, <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. Okay, okay. No, that's fair. And I'm, I'm not saying I believe this either, like I said. But um, it's possible that the fume exposure just to methylamine... Um, in sufficient quantities in a small room crowded full of people might have caused Susan Kane to faint. Remember, she was the one who was looking over, looking for the source of the smell. What if she, you know, just like hovered over her mouth and got a big whiff of methylamine and just fainted? Um, I've smelled methylamine before in a lab and it's it's not a pleasant smell. I've smelled it in solution and it's, it's, it is bad. Um, it's yucky. It is yucky, but again pure just straight up hogwash conjecture but what if susan kane fainted julia gochinski was in on the thing she realized what had happened and was like i gotta think fast went out to the nurse's station sat down to center herself and then just decided i'm gonna be a victim too and fainted and it caused a mass hysteria incident what if what if? and then she also pre-planned that she needed to have problems with her breathing well, uh, what if she so faked really? it? Really? What if she faked it though? I don't know how you can fake that. Except when had yeah, to, you yeah, know. Yeah, no, I don't, she was like, really good. Like, like, she's t- like actually an A plus actress. Right, right. Like, I have nothing to support that, and neither did the New Times LA. So take that with the entirety of of the like Salt Lake's grain, grains of salt. Like that is not <laughs> that is not what happened. But what if? What if? Um, another another interesting tidbit about that is the the particles floating in glorious blood it's it's also meth yeah it could have been meth um (laughs) but just as kind of a counterpoint to the uh to the lab's findings Mm -hmm. um about the dimethyl sulfate gas production right it's dmso has has a very um it's very good at crossing the like skin oil barrier but it's not that good in fact, there are no. very few compounds that, that would be able to penetrate the blood, even if you ate them. Like, they would not get into your bloodstream in sufficient quantities to cause visible crystallation of dimethyl sulfoxide or dimethyl sulfate. Um, right. It, like, if... if and again, I've read this paper. It's it's locked behind a paywall, but it, the the quantities they talk about, like it, rather the concentrations they talk about, are absurd quantities of DMSO. They're absurd quantities of, of dimethyl sulfides and dimethyl sulfones. It's it's like it's a massive amount. She would have have to have been bathing in this stuff for days, for and just like much, sitting in it. Yeah, for that much to get into her blood. Now, that's not to say. Topical application aside, that's on average across her whole body. Um, you can go and read the paper if you have access to Forensic Science International. But but you know maybe it did happen even in small localized quantities within her body. What if there was a buildup somewhere and that caused a high enough concentration for a chemical reaction to take place? But honestly, like for 
crystalline dimethyl sulfate to form in her blood is just it's 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 just weird it is so unbelievably weird and for that to just pull out in a sample like that in the nurse's hand like it, it would have had to have been direct intravenous injection of some compound that would have caused that which kind of is what happens with something like an iv bag maybe full of a chemical hint hint wink wink Ah, ah, I'm shaking my head and rolling my eyes into the back of my brain. Yes. Um, The point is here, and the the tragedy and the mystery here, is that her body was so horrifically mishandled by the coroner's office and the disparate investigations that, like, and and considering that several of these investigations came to wholly mutually exclusive conclusions, it's impossible to say one way or another what actually happened. Maybe it was a super interesting case of wonky chemistry that caused a bunch of people to inhale a toxic gas and and pass out and cause like this massive incident from this toxic woman. Maybe there was some meth and a bunch of people were in on it and covering it up, (laughs) considering that this was the meth capital of the U.S. at the time. Maybe it was an actual mass hysteria incident and, you know... Maybe Julia had some other health problems that that caused in you know that just happened to spark up right at this exact moment and and she's the one outlier to all the other people who are are fine. Right. Who knows? Um, Not us. Certainly. No, yeah, I don't know. Like we're on, we're playing armchair detectives here. Like I don't know what happened. I don't even know what I believe happened. It's it's honestly hard to say. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe there was an actual chemical leak. And, and Gloria's body and her strange topical oiliness is just what was blamed for it. And, you know, there was a bunch of investigations launched. Maybe it was a government conspiracy. Maybe it was a government conspiracy. Maybe there was an alien in the basement of that hospital and they used Gloria's death to cover up them getting the alien out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think yeah. of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know this is like a popular story I said at the beginning, but if you've never heard the name Gloria Ramirez and this sounds really familiar to you, it's because season one, episode 24 of The X-Files is based on this story. Just fly. Yes. <laughs> um, I think it's called like the Erlenmeyer or something, or Erlenmeyer Flask, something like that. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's not a very good episode, I don't think. What was that season one episode? 24, I think it was. The Erlenmeyer Flask. Yeah, that's what it was. Yes. Yes. You were right. Mulder and Scully discover a government conspiracy while on the trail of a killer with superhuman powers. Air date, May 13th, 1994. They didn't even wait that long, did they? Nope. Wow. That was like three months. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Oh, my God. (laughs) The moral of the story. Go ahead. Like, that's hardly enough time to even write the script and shoot it. Not if you're the X-Files. That's like South Park timelines. That's like, yeah, we heard about it on Tuesday and the episode publishes Thursday. Let's hit it. Like, (laughs) oh my God. I I think that like the moral of the story here, if you're, you know, aside from how it's an interesting scientific case and it's a mystery, is don't treat dead bodies with disrespect. Please. Whether you care or not, these people have families. And they deserve to be treated with respect. Not that all of our listeners have easy and ready access to human bodies. Um, but, but if, if you, you do, do <laughs> only tread it lightly. Yeah. I, and, you know, I think it's it's one of those cases where 
I'm sure the coroner's office, like, it was such a weird thing that happened at the time that I'm sure the coroner's office and the lab that they contracted through and, and everything that was going on, they were probably just so obsessed with this incredible, strange thing that happened, this incredible medical mystery that they wanted to solve, that they just completely mishandled her remains. And even more than that, they they mishandled the science behind it. None of the things that they... Which is also bad. Which is also bad. None of the things that they said could be corroborated because they didn't handle her remains properly. And if they had somebody else might have been able to come to a better conclusion. They might have been able to expound upon it and give more dignity to Gloria and her family. You know, it's, right. and also it's, it's a win-win-win if they're just better people. For everybody. Yeah. Right. And another thing we have to keep in mind, too, and, you know, I, I like I said, I don't know much about Gloria's personal life or her family or anything like that, but this is certainly a case where, you know, unless you're, like, a very rich or very well-known person, I think in this case you would be more likely to have your remains mishandled. Yes. Meaning that, you know what I mean, if you don't have the power or the authority or the means to be like, hey, I have expectations. Right. Like, it might not be met. So just another social issue here. But, yeah. like, Glorious regardless of the a... science. Yeah. Yeah, they deserve to still be treated with respect and right. to know... You know, everybody should be able to have their own autopsy done on anybody in their family if they pass away. Right. Yeah. No, Independent this, autopsy. Totally, yeah. you're right. Right. And this was this was a case where, where Gloria's family totally had the ability to do an independent autopsy, but they didn't have the financial clout to force the hospital. And it was the hospital. This wasn't like the higher California board or any sort of legal entity blocking right, them. Or like the president himself. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> no. even, you're going to like a federal or state level committee. This was, this was the coroner's office at Riverside general and their lab that they were doing this, this, this study through was the only thing that blocked them from, from getting Gloria's remains back. And they didn't have the financial clout to sue or threaten or force them to do that. So they, acted with impunity effectively with her remains and it's just it's it sucks it does it opens it opens this up for a mystery for the ages it does because now we don't really have the means or the ability to ever know 100 percent what happened that day yeah all we know is go get tested for cancer early uh, go get tested for cancer. Early detection is the most important thing. Is the most important factor for survival rate. Also, don't rub industrial de- degreaser on yourself, please. And don't mishandle bodies. Yes, those are the three lessons for today. Didn't we decide we weren't doing lessons anymore? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs>